Hello and welcome to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Somewhere podcast. This is episode 21. Today I will be talking about the case of Kelsey Smith. My sources for today's episode are The Night That Didn't End, Season 2, Episode 3 on Discovery+. Plus. The episode is titled Enter Frame Left. Fox News, KansasCity.com, and PopCultureCrime.Medium.com. As usual, my sources will be posted in today's show notes. Kelsey Ann Smith was born on May 3, 1989. She was born to Greg and Missy Smith and grew up in a large family in Overland Park, Kansas. She had three sisters and one brother. She was very close to her entire family. Kelsey was described as musically gifted. She was in the marching band, played the clarinet, and loved theater. She had been in a few productions at her local high school. She was really excited to go to college and play in the marching band with her sister, Lindsay, which unfortunately they would never get to do together. Kelsey was 18 at the time of her murder. She was working at the local AMC theaters. Her mom said she would always bring popcorn home for the whole family, and popcorn and movies were their thing. Kelsey was in a relationship with a boy named John at the time. They had been dating for six months. Kelsey's family loved John, and he was constantly over hanging out. Greg said that John was there more than his own kids. On June 2nd, 2007, Kelsey went to work at AMC, and then she had plans with her dad and sister Lindsay. They went to a local fair. Lindsay was afraid of heights, and Greg remembers that Kelsey had talked her into going on the Ferris wheel. Greg said that Kelsey had freaked her sister out by moving the seat, but other than that, they had a fun time. Kelsey had a date that night at 8 p.m. with her boyfriend John for their six-month anniversary. After she woke up from a nap, she told her family that she was going to Target to get John a present. Lindsay said Kelsey had asked if she wanted to go along, but she said she was going to sleep longer. Kelsey said goodbye to her dad, and they told each other they loved each other. Greg said he's happy he at least told her that. Kelsey went to Target at the Oak Park Mall around 6 p.m. While Kelsey was at the store, she called her mom, and Missy told her about a gift bag to purchase for John. Missy said she told Kelsey she'd see her when she get home when she got home. Around 8 p.m., John arrived at the Smith home to pick Kelsey up. Kelsey still wasn't home. John, Greg, and Lindsay all tried calling Kelsey, but she didn't answer. They also tried contacting friends to see if they'd heard from her. No one could get into contact with Kelsey. Missy said she received a call from Lindsay as she was driving home from a wedding out of town. She said she was about 45 minutes away from home, and it was the longest drive ever. John and Lindsay decided to go out to drive around to look for Kelsey and her old Buick. They went by the Target first and didn't see anything. Then they pulled up to the Macy's across the street and found Kelsey's car. Lindsay called her parents, and Greg, being a former police officer, told them not to touch the car. Greg called the police. Bob Miller and Candace Bridges were called to the scene around midnight. The location of Kelsey's car was strange. It was in a very dim area of the parking lot. When Greg and Missy arrived at the scene, they noticed something sticking out of the trunk. Kelsey's keys were found underneath the front seat, and Greg said he opened the trunk, hoping Kelsey wasn't in the back. She wasn't, but her purse, wallet, and the items she had purchased from Target were found still inside. The police searched and tested the car for DNA and fingerprints. A thumbprint was found on the seatbelt, and it was not Kelsey's. Several officers went into the Target to locate the surveillance footage. The store had closed at 11 p.m. that night, but someone had come in to show them the surveillance footage. Kelsey was located in a pink top, athletic shorts, and tennis shoes on the surveillance footage. She's seen walking around the store, picking her items, 
and paying for them. She's then seen walking out alone. At the time, the police believe Kelsey got into her car and left at 7.08 p.m. However, she exits the opposite way of her home. The police did talk to other suspects, including Kelsey's boyfriend, John. In this episode, they said he had a very strange behavior during the interview, but he was, so, he was soon ruled out. Twelve hours after Kelsey disappeared, Greg called several radio stations to put out information about Kelsey's disappearance. An hour after the first radio broadcast, Kelsey's case was all over the local media. Kelsey's family, friends, classmates, etc. were dubbed Kelsey's Army. Greg helped the searchers with the grid searches. Other police agencies and federal agencies were also called to help. Missing persons flyers were also handed out. The police wanted to look at the surveillance footage from Macy's. The video is very grainy, but at 9.17 p.m., Kelsey's car is seen pulling into the empty lot. A person gets out of the car, but it's not Kelsey. The person is seen running away in the dark toward the Target parking lot. The police needed to take a closer look at the Target surveillance. This time, they watched it at the headquarters, where they projected the surveillance on the wall. They watched it again as Kelsey entered the store, walked around, selected her items, pays, and walks to her car. This time, as she's walking around the back of her car to get inside, a flash of someone wearing a white shirt with dark-colored pants is seen charging at her. The car jostles a little bit, and then the police now believe she was either rendered unconscious or forced into her car. The police now needed to rewind the footage and watch it backwards. Kelsey is seen again walking into the store and walking around the store. The police were also searching the cameras for someone wearing a white shirt and dark pants or shorts. There is a man who is seen following Kelsey around. As Kelsey is paying for her items, the man leaves the store. He is seen glancing over his shoulder as if he's making sure she's still at the counter. It is just so it just so happens that the man and Kelsey park near each other and he goes outside to wait for her. He held her at gunpoint and abducted her. The police were able to capture a clear image of the man leaving Target, and his photo is released to the public. About 1,300 tips came in about the man and who he could be. After several suspects were interviewed, they were determined to be dead ends. The police turned back to the Target surveillance footage once again. At 9.17 p.m., after the mysterious figure abandons Kelsey's car, they are seen getting into a blue Chevrolet truck and leaving the area. They watch the footage backwards to see when the vehicle arrives. Around 6.55 p.m., the truck is seen pulling behind Kelsey's car. After the police released the information about the vehicle description, a woman contacted police. She said the person in the surveillance looked like her neighbor, a 26-year-old married father named Edwin Hall, a.k.a. Jack. A little bit about Edwin, or Jack, or whatever the fuck his name is. He had been arrested as a juvenile for assault after threatening his adopted family's daughter with a knife. He also assaulted another boy with a baseball bat. He seems like a great person. A surveillance team went out to watch Edwin at his home. On June 6, 2007, Edwin was arrested. At the time, he and his wife were loading up the truck with items, so they believe he was getting ready to flee. Edwin was brought in for questioning where he denied everything. He did admit to being at Target and eventually to seeing Kelsey and said she had nice legs. His DNA and fingerprints came back as a match to the fingerprints found in Kelsey's car. Kelsey's body was found the same day, June 6th, after her phone ping showed that she was in a wooded area in Grandview, Missouri, 18 to 20 miles from the Target where she was abducted. 
It took days to find Kelsey due to her phone records from Verizon Wireless being handed over after four days. She had been strangled with her own belt, sexually assaulted, and covered in branches. Kelsey was also found nude. Her clothes and shoes were found nearby. Kelsey had fought back. Edwin had scratches on his arms, but he was able able to overpower her. On June 7th, Edwin Hall was charged with premeditated first-degree murder and aggravated kidnapping. He was later charged with rape and aggravated sodomy. On July 23rd, Edwin pleaded guilty to all four charges to avoid the death penalty. He tried to apologize to the Smith family in court. On September 16th, he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. People go and live amongst others in this county, in a steel jungle. And they find rather than being the predator, he is now the prey. Hall's lawyers said the defendant's years of abuse as a child were not an excuse, but an explanation. But the only sympathy the Smiths have is for Hall's young son. My only satisfaction is knowing that you'll forever spend the rest of your life behind those bars. Never will you get to see the kind of man your son could have become. Forever he will have to live the consequences with the consequences you chose and made for him. I will continue to pray for God to protect that little boy. He is going to need it. I am so, so sorry for what I've done. That's it. That's all I can say. I don't know whether it was sincere or not, but kind of like everybody said in their statements, it, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. Kelsey's parents, Greg and Missy, created the Kelsey Smith Foundation to increase public awareness of abductions. They also created the Kelsey Smith Law, a law that states cell phone companies can ping a phone if authorities say the subscriber is in danger. My book recommendation for this week is Revenge Cake by Skylar Mason. Summary. I didn't want to fall in love with Logan, an infamous relationship slut. He fell in love too easy for it ever to be real. And I refused to end up just one more crazy ex-girlfriend. But he used his self-deprecating charm to wear me down, and I let myself fall even though I was afraid he'd abandon me once he learned about my anxiety disorder. And that's exactly what he did. He shattered my heart into a million pieces, and now it's time for him to pay. Revenge never tasted so sweet. But I have to be careful. I don't. I can't get too close. I can't let myself fall in love with him again. I've never loved anyone more than Lelaney, the fiercest woman I've ever met. But I can't let her break my heart for the second time. I won't survive it. If we're going to be together after college, she needs to handle her addiction to anxiety pills. She can't do it if I'm around to enable her, and that's exactly why I had to leave. But one look into those severe brown eyes and I'm transported back to the night we met, the night I fell in love with her. I know I have to stay away, but I miss her, and what's the harm in just one look? This book is a little different than the other books I've read, and I was hesitant to read it because of the mixed reviews, but I liked it, and I actually requested to read it because the cover caught my eye. I have to say I couldn't put the book down, and the characters were complex and interesting. Instead of a book about murder, it was a book about the ups and downs of love, anxiety, and even addiction. I give this book an 8 out of 10, and thank you to NetGalley for letting me read this book. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. It was a little bit shorter today, but please subscribe, follow me on Instagram, email me, DM, rate, and review. Anything helps. I will be back again next week with a new case and book recommendation. And remember, it's crime o'clock somewhere.